Now introducing the Minor Wisdom Trio! Minor Wisdom! Almost to episode 200. Almost there. Inching closer to episode 200. And I don't have plans to do anything after that. Anyway, uh, this week is Paul Davis. Again, one of those people that quite a few people have said, why don't you have him on? Well, here he is. You know, like I can't have, there it is. I can't have everybody on every week. You know what I mean? So um, got Paul on. He is the head of the theater department at the high school, sorry, the kinder high school for the performing and visual arts. My alma mater wasn't called that back then. Um, it, well, you know, it wasn't called Lakewood church. I also back then. So, um, we also had Astroworld back then. So anyway, things change, but, uh, Paul is probably in a fascinating way. One of the most design intelligent people you'll ever meet. Uh, it's, he just, and it's effortless. As far as what I've seen from him, the work that I've seen, pictures, and even some, I've actually seen some of the shows and the way he kind of just goes about his business. And it's, it, it comes, it's frustratingly effortless because he's just really good and confident at what he does. And I, I think that translates, or at least has been recognized by uh, a number of people that use his brain. He's one of the few one-act play clinicians that, yeah, he can tell you how to maybe direct a show in certain ways and things like that and be better with that, but he's a clinician that is sought after because of his design brain, and uh, that's really cool. And something that I know Mel and I have talked about wanting to do, Mel has started, nobody wants to call me, um, but uh, it's it's a cool thing that some people trust him to talk about their show early on in the process when most of the time their design work is lackluster. I mean, let's be honest, when you're presenting your show to a clinician in early February, you're presenting with whatever the lights are at the place that's hosting, and they could be all over the place. I mean, let's let's be really honest. That could be the case with the host school for your actual contest. But anyway, I digress. Um, and so some people are really being vulnerable by saying, hey, Paul, here's our show. Can you help us design it, right? Um, uh, or at least give us some some tips and tricks. So that's really cool. Enjoyed the convo with Paul. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, so moving on. Uh, quite a few things to talk about. My birthday was last week. I didn't really say anything. I said something at the very end of the last episode uh, with Shirley, um, but uh, it was a lackluster 41, right? 40, well, who cares about 41? 40 was big. 40 is where you kind of do everything you got, and then the next time you kind of do things, as my sister would say, is when you're halfway to 50 when you turn 45. Um, yes, I understand. Uh and uh, so, yeah, my birthday was last week. Um, I got this really cool two-seater with a cooler, like, fold-up chair for watching Ava's soccer games. Um, two-seater so that I can always have a friend. You got a friend. Speaking of you got a friend of me, there's a section in our dance show this week. Our dance show is called Life. Uh, 
with an exclamation point, life. So when we talk about this show at Cooper, say, hey, are you, uh, when is life over? When, when does life start? When is opening night for life? <clears throat> and uh, anyway, it's just kind of fun to, to, you know, say that because that's what it's always called for some reason. I don't understand. But uh, that um, show was this week and a really horrible thing happened in the world of design uh, our, our choreographer, the dance teacher who works on the show all year from, from August till now, uh, she does mostly all of her own costumes or she does have some assistance. She does, you know, most of the choreography. She has an after school program that she gets paid on the side for at the school. But I digress about that. That also performs in this show. So th they are students from the school, but it's not a program that's actually in the school or classes. It's a side thing, um, side hustle that she uses the school for, uh, which I don't agree with because uh, we're not allowed to do that. But again, you know, I would only say that because I'm leaving. But anyway, um, they do silks and aerials and things like that and Lyra. And she puts video throughout the entirety of the show uh, that projects on the back bounce. It's not a psych, it's a bounce. And not a very good projector, not a high-quality video, but it's video nonetheless. And the video creator, the content creator, uh, backed out Monday, Tech Week Monday, and said, I'm not doing it, right? Whole, a whole, like, nine months to prep this thing. And Tech Week, this guy backs out. So clearly that person, bridge equal burned, right? So as the choreographer, as the dance teacher is explaining to me, not with the without the uh, intention of asking me to do it, but kind of explaining to me like what her vision was on certain sections of the dance, uh, of the whole dance. I started thinking, you know, I could do this. It's not that difficult to do. I know what I'm doing when it comes to some of this editing software and layering and movement and speed and, um, you know, manipulating with filters and things like that. So I said, I'll do it. So... Four days later, it opened up yesterday as I record this. It opened up Friday, and there were still some issues with the video, but they were uh, pretty good. There were seven sections in the show. Uh, I did video for six, and I decided I'm going to just use the psych for one because I just couldn't get a grasp of what it is she wanted. Um, and so the rest of it turned out fine, but that was just kind of crappy for that person to uh, back out. Um also, uh, this week was a whirlwind. Monday, uh, Joshua Hearson came and did his long day interview at the school and was offered the job a couple days later, announced yesterday, told his kids yesterday as I record this at Seven Lakes. And so Joshua Hearson is coming in to take my job. Now, I don't have a great reputation with people that have taken over for me at a school that I have left, uh, not, not so good. Um, except for, I would say Rowlett, uh, oh, and Morton ranch. Troy took over at Morton ranch. I forgot about that. He, he was great. Uh, but, uh, after my time with straight, no chaser, um, when I left Dulles, not so good. When I left Travis, not so good, but, um, here we are leaving Cooper. Hopefully things are great. I have no doubts that Joshua Hearson is going to not only uh, do a great job, but do a better job than I could ever do. Uh, his kids at Seven Lakes left that school much better technicians than they walked in. And that's all you can ask for, a bunch of better people. 
So uh, Josh has taken over there, uh, which leads me into the whole teacher appreciation thing. That was this week. Uh, the teacher appreciation thing was popular on Facebook, right? And a lot of people posting um, all about their, you know, uh, leave me a message, blah, blah, blah. And I kind of did it in a back a, a, a bass backwards way. Uh, but I want to read this one thing. Um, I, I won't name the student, but I got this privately. Uh, and I just thought this was cool. And this isn't just applicable to me, applicable to me. Um, and, and I just, I, again, I'm going to spend a little time on this. Uh, the student said, you taught me a ton, but one thing in particular stands out the most. I've always doubted myself. There's still so many instances when I do because I overthink. I have imposter syndrome, all the classic self-esteem issues. I remember when I got cast in the show, I questioned every single day when I even... Uh, why I even go that and do that part, got that part, excuse me. I felt so underqualified, undeserving, and just bad. You pulled me aside one day and told me I got the role because I was the best fit for that role and that I deserved to be proud and confident in that role. It changed everything for me. I even tell myself that in my job at least once a week. Now that I am an, an executive, I get imposter syndrome all the time. But I always think back to the conversation we had and I tell myself, I got this job because I'm the best person for this job and I should be proud and confident in that role. I can't tell you how much that helps me still to this day. That meant the world to me, especially coming from that particular student. Uh, I had a great relationship with that student, um, but just, uh, and, and I still do. But it was just kind of neat to get that, right? And we all, teachers to always talk about how much our students mean to us even more so than uh, we mean to them. And I think that's very, you know, I know that's true, actually. I don't think it's true. Uh, but it's nice to hear that stuff every once in a while, uh, to know that you meant something to at least someone. You know, I, I spent 13 years in the classroom. This is my last year, at least for a while, uh, a long while. Uh, but I spent 13 years in the classroom and... Just to, I got, you know, a handful of messages from students, former students, and that's all I need. I, I don't need every single student to be affected. I just need a handful that uh, show their appreciation and understand once they become adults, like what it is that we do, right? Because they sure as hell don't really understand while they're in the classroom. So, yeah, I appreciate you, teachers. Um, and finally, uh, in Drowsy Chaperone, rehearsals continued this past week. Uh, I got spit on. If you know Drowsy Chaperone, you know what part I am. Uh, I got that we practiced the spitting scene uh, multiple times. And uh, then my counterpart told me that they were sick the next day. So anyway, I'm fine. I've, I've got the immune system of an ox. Enjoy this interview from Paul Davis. Thanks for supporting the podcast. Leave a review, five stars, whatever it is. Um, I get the feeling not a lot of people listen to the, my intros and just scrub forward. Uh, but if you are listening, hey, man, leave a review. Thanks, Bobby. I didn't take theater until my senior year of high school. Um, so, And I went to a really small um, rural community, um, Liberty, Texas. Um, and, um, yeah, I didn't do any theater. Basically, in seventh grade or sixth grade, my parents were like, um, you have to either join the football team or you have to join 4-H. Uh, so I did 4-H. Um, and then my senior year, I had some extra classes I could take. So um, my mom had suggested that I would probably like theater. So I took it. 
And then I guess, you know, like they say, the rest is history. Um, but all during high school, I did take art classes. So I've always been really drawn to um, art and the arts. Um, so I think that uh, as I got into theater, design was a kind of a natural fit. Um, then I went to undergrad at Stephen F. Austin, and I was not a theater major. I was a, a history major. Um, and, a, and then I took a theater class and I loved it. Um, and then I ended up eventually becoming a theater major and an art minor. So, um, but that's one thing I love about history. Art theater is history and I'm able to explore um, these different genres and time periods, which yeah. I think is really interesting. Um, and then I did a year abroad there. So I was able to uh, study at Buford College in London. And there I did an emphasis in uh, scenic design. So that's kind of where I really got, um, I guess, involved in being a scenic designer. Right. Um, and then I came back. I went to USITT. Um, no, I went to Unifieds to audition for colleges. And then uh, I wanted to go to Northwestern. And they said, take a year and go work and then come back. Um, so I took a year and I worked at Portland Stage up in Maine. And then I worked at um, the Dallas Theater Center as a scenic artist. And then, um, and then I went back and then I still didn't get in. They like called back eight people and they took like six and they weren't me, but the university of Connecticut was there and I met with them. And then I ended up getting, um, you know, full tuition waiver, um, to go to school basically for free. Um, so then I went up to UConn and did a year there and then my mom got ill. So I came back to Texas, but I did fly back and I was designing angels in America and I flew back up there and did the tech week and did the show and everything. Um, and then my mom's sickness just got worse. So I came back and, um, and then I ended up losing my mom. And then I was just really kind of like, I didn't feel like going back to Connecticut where my friends who were there were graduating. So, um, I started teaching. And then that's um, when I got the job in Leander and started teaching there. And then I taught there for 13 years. Yeah. So um, with Linda uh, Major and um, we had a great program. And then um, and then I ended up, um, you know, eventually uh, moving to the Houston area and, and getting the job at um, HSPBA. But in Austin, I did a uh, great thing about living in Austin and teaching in Leander is there's such a huge theater scene you're able to do so much freelance work so i was able to work with um ken webster's company high park theater i kind of became like um the resident designer i did a ton of work there um i did a ton of work for mark Bikel's company capital t theater um and then uh i worked at um zilker park so i got to do that musical um i think five or six times and then during that time also i you know I've got to know Luis and I designed the Allstate production, um, the scenic designer of that twice. So I did Our Town and Quorum Boy. Quorum Boy. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of and then now I've been at PVA uh, 12 years, I think, wow. which is kind of crazy. 12. I didn't realize it was 12 years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a, it happened. It went fast. Yeah. Or it's going fast. Yeah. So I'll we'll get into the PVA thing. Uh, the history major thing. So I, I got a history minor. And can this is really? I don't know if this is a question or not, but I can definitely vouch for the importance of that sort of education and background, kind of married with theater, obviously. Um, 
but uh, what, so you, if I get this right, you switched from being a history major to being a theater major. How, how deep into that did you switch? Uh, not very deep. Okay. Uh, after like Western civilization two, <laughs> <laughs> okay. I was like, okay. maybe I'll do theater. Um, so, uh, and then I was a theater major and history minor yeah. for a while. And then I ended up being theater and art. So, okay. All right. That makes um, more sense. Which was a great fit for me. I mean, I'm, yeah, I love visual arts as what, well. What's your favorite, uh, medium? Um, paint. I mean, okay. I guess I'm a, you know, my, I'm a, training as a scenic artist so and and then i also use um when i was at the university of connecticut we had um these amazing this amazing student she was from serbia and she did all this amazing collaging um so i've done a i've always taught um my students kind of those techniques they're really freeing especially if you feel like you can't draw or you can't communicate it's easy to collage and that's something that you know i guess now we have photoshop and stuff but i'm still old school i still have like you know, like six tubs of magazines, like in my yeah. design classroom, and we use all that stuff. So, what what are your thoughts on Pinterest? Oh, I have a Pinterest okay. account. And right. I have multiple followers, <laughs> um, and I like Pinterest, but I use it more uh, just for myself. Like okay, interior okay. design and Cause, gardening. Yeah, because one of the things that when I was at Dulles, one of the things we did uh, was everybody had everybody joined when you were in a show a Pinterest account. Uh, especially the designers and sometimes the actors too, but uh, it just kept everybody kind of in line with the overall picture. Yeah. Right. Um, So anyway, that's why I asked. That wasn't some random, (laughs) you know, what about, yeah, yeah. I think it's a great tool. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I think it's a great tool and my students do use it, but I wouldn't say as much as we did at one time. So, uh, uh, and the, the Yukon thing. So, I'm I, I'm sure I've been told that you went to UConn at some point in my life, knowing you. But I guess I never knew that they have a theater school. It's not something that oh, yeah. down here. They I guess they just don't venture down to like the the thespian world as much. I'm sure they have at one point or another, but they're not the. I don't think they really do, just yeah. because you know you're close to New York, and I think that they have a lot of students that were from that kind of new England area. Yeah. And then there were actually a lot of students from Canada in um, my master's program. A lot of students who were from Quebec. Okay. And Quebec City. So, um, which is not really very far from stores. Right. So, um, so yeah, but then, you know, there were students from all over. I had uh, international students there from Taiwan. So, and then the students who were from Serbia. So, um, and Laura Crow is, um, the costume design teacher there and she's amazing and has done all this stuff with like circle in the square and she does all this international stuff and textiles right. and um and you know got me interested in going to the Prague quadrennial which i did and so she um was a is a big influence i had when i was um the chair of tta design fest we brought her in one year to houston okay to to yeah she's to, to adjudicate that stuff yeah well, just to like her work was on display. Oh, oh, oh okay, okay, okay. Because yeah. I know sometimes they'll bring in college designer or professional designers and college level designers to <clears throat> kind of grade it. You know, uh, be the adjudicators for that stuff. So, uh, but she, like, she knew Ming Cho Lee, and she would have like um, opportunities for the University of Connecticut students to go down and meet with him in his uh, apartment and look at their portfolios and design work. So it was a really um, a cool experience yeah that is kind of 
the that connection. I guess I just didn't think about UConn being a a hub for some of that stuff. So, but it makes sense. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Um, was PVA your introduction to Houston? Oh no, because okay. I grew up in Liberty, which was near you know Houston. We used to drive in my senior year. I know we drove in and saw like Les Mis at Jones Hall and oh, okay. stuff. So it's not a really, it's not a far drive. So we would drive in and, you know, occasionally see stuff or go, go to the rodeo or things okay. like that. I guess so, so no, I grew up in the, I would say greater Houston area, even though it was pretty East Texas. Okay. I guess I don't know enough about Liberty, Texas to have known that it's it was. Between, <laughs> uh, yeah. It's between Houston and Beaumont. Okay. That makes more sense. Yeah. Uh, that reminds me. Do we know? Uh, do, do you know people from Beaumont? I feel like oh, I've yeah. heard this well, before. My too. partner is from like uh, that Beaumont area. Okay. Well, we'll talk after this because I think we have mutual friends that are that. Because I feel like anyway, we'll talk after this. It's not podcast worthy, but um, uh, so what is uh, this? Is again, I do this podcast very selfishly to get to know people uh, the way I want to get to know them. Not necessarily. I don't if I sold podcasts or, or tried to make money off of this, I would guess I would be, uh, have questions that were canned, but, um, I, I want to know like, what's a challenge to Paul Davis? Like what, like what is a scenic or, or not a scenic, a show that is something that you have either done that's challenging or haven't done yet because you know that it's just kind of over the top. I would say um, there's nothing that I, I don't, I'm not like, I'm not fearful. Well, maybe like um, uh, Starlight Express, I guess, because that would be insane <laughs> to, you know, do that. Um, but um, I don't, I'm not fearful of anything. I mean, uh, in Leander, we did Beauty and the Beast. And I would say that was a big show to do with one tech director because um and then I, I have to do everything extra like i can't have like a backdrop for the tavern like i have to have a tavern right. built. so um that show is huge um and then all the kind of special effects and stuff like that and then the costumes um so that was um that was uh, a lot of work okay. um but um but i'm not really intimidated i mean in all honesty now I don't really design a whole lot anymore. Yeah. I'm more of a mentor and my students are really doing the work now. I did design Mamma Mia um, this fall at PBA right. because the dance teacher was directing it and she was really nervous about this, her first musical direct since she um, had been like in college and she'd done musical theater and she really wanted a support staff of faculty yeah. to support her so i did that but really mostly um it's my students who are designing now and i'm just more um there to guide them right and so, help them find their voice uh so mentally how was that for you going from having almost full <clears throat> control you know and not that you don't have control now but but it was a different type of control right uh where you were the 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 only uh the only tech director, not the only director, but the only tech director there to being somebody that goes to a space. And, and I can speak on it twofold being that I'm a former student, but also now that I'm in a situation where I too have like professionals assisting me with all my shows, how was that for you to kind of like be able to let go a little bit? And then also the, the, the second part of that is PVA is a school that the students 
do everything or expected to do everything. And like you said, with mentors as their kind of their, their, their guide, uh, that also had to be quite the shift. So kind of speak on that, I guess. Yeah. I mean, originally, um, when I left Leander, I was hired there to, um, you know, teach design. Um, and I think that was something that maybe the school when I entered it kind of needed, um, was a design teacher. Uh, the previous teacher I think was doing a great job, but, uh, he was more like stage management. So there was more about stage management, not really about, um, scenic design. Uh, and ironically I was designing, um, the Sound of Music that summer at Zilker Park. And one of um, the TDs, she was like, oh, well, I'm leaving to Houston tomorrow because I have an interview. And I was like, oh, well, I do too. And we were both interviewing for the same job. And they ended up hiring both of us because they liked us so much. Um, but those first couple of years, I did design there. I, I kind of wanted to create, like, these are the expectations. And I'm not going to ask you to do anything. I can't do or won't do. And I just thought it was important to have all the drafting there and the research and the models and do all that just really like a professional gig, um, just to model that behavior. And what I found is after I did that, then the students were able to meet it um, like really quickly, actually, I would say within the next year, students were doing amazing work. Um, but it's kind of like, I felt like in Leander with Linda and I, it was a lot of our vision and, you know, what I thought the world to play looked like and historical research and what I was trying to create. And and for lack of like a better word, now I feel like I have to do kind of um, like there was like an ego check period where I had to say... I had allowed my students to fail in a way. Like I had to uh, go, I had to think, I don't know if this is going to be successful. And I would be honest and I would be like, I don't know if this is going to be successful. And they're like, no, I want to do it. And then I'm like, okay. So I have to let them do it. And then a lot of times they're like, you were right. <laughs> or the, or it was, or maybe sometimes it is successful. Because I, I was designing Big Love and I had this student who was like, I want to build this whole chandelier out of champagne glasses. And I was like, are you sure? And then she did it and it was amazing. So I had to, tr I had to trust them. And really also they become, you know, they're your collaborators. Um, yeah. So you're really working um, with them as fellow designers. Uh, so you have to trust them. A little tech tip this week. I didn't do one last week because well, I don't know why I didn't do one last week, but just a tip for the tech tip, the tip of the tech. Um, this week I figured out that uh, when you have a lightboard operator that's a student that creating macros in your lightboard is probably the best thing to do when you're trying to explain to them hey <clears throat> make sure uh since i won't be here do take these steps in order to make sure that the lights are on and operating and functioning and lamped on and everything so i just created macros i, and I taught the student how to do that uh but doing that and then doing it right and wrong are uh, very easy to screw up it's super easy to slim uh margin. But macros are the way to go if you need to teach your students how to uh, that they need to do something every single show. You click a button and boom, it's done. But you got to create that macro and it can be frustrating af, bro. I remember my senior year when when I was there, obviously it's been many, many years in different regimes, but uh, we did the Tempest and it was our kind of like 
student design, completely student designed. And it was three raked, circular raked stages, all at different rakes and levels. And Stephen Wolf said, "That's if you're going to do that, you guys have to do the math. Like, I'm not going to sit here and <laughs> do that with you. Right now, right. <laughs> so uh, it took quite some time to get it right, but it ended up being great. But I digress. Um, I have to ask you, I don't ever really dive into this kind of stuff with my um, uh, interviewees on here, my guests. But I have, again, selfishly, I've got to ask you because I fancy myself a lighting designer first and then a halfway decent scenic designer. Um, what is kind of your process? Like what is, what, what do you, uh, and maybe it's not the same thing every time, but what do you find comfort in as steps in your process? Uh, well, you know, I get the gig, um, and then I just read <laughs> the Nego- play. Negotiate um, your, your salary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Um, uh, read the play and really meet with the director and then just talk with them. Um, I like to have usually an initial meeting where it's more in a relaxed environment where I don't have like my research or anything because I, I don't want to start that journey yet. Usually I have like a sketchbook and a piece of paper and we just start kind of talking about the space um and then um and then after that communication and we get kind of like we're on the same page then obviously research um history you know looking at dramaturgy the world of play uh i'm a very um i tend to work with rendering so i do a ton of renderings like i'll do you know like uh i don't know like five to ten different versions of a drawing of the set um, that are pretty detailed. Um, and then from there we have communication, we look at it, we decide what we like, what we don't like. Um, uh, what we, what, cause sometimes I get married to ideas that I have to trash, um, which is something that I have to teach my students, which I think is the hugest lesson there is for a young designer is to be willing to throw out those brilliant ideas and get rid of them even because they're not working. Um, And then from there, I move into doing usually storyboards. And then finally I do a model, but I do uh, prefer rendering. It's just so much easier for me. And, but rendering, you can lie. You can lie about what it really looks. You can make a drawing fit into a space, but then my dryer went off, but then a model doesn't lie. Right. So when we were at UConn, we had to do all models. My teacher, Tim Satternell was from Yale. And so that's all they did were models. So we had to do these tiny eighth inch scale models. And we had to make like six of them with different scenic design. Like we did Arcadia. We had to make like six different eighth inch scale models. Um, so that was the way, you know, we worked. And which makes sense. If you're in New York, you can like take the model on the train with you because, you know, it'll fit in a shoebox or whatever. Um, but yeah, but from my, I think background as a scenic artist and just as a visual artist, I'm drawn to sketching and rendering. Um, but like um, when I was in Leander, I would usually have like one of those spirals uh, sketchbooks and I would fill the whole book up because um, I still have some with just research and drawings. Okay. Like one whole book for a show. Wow. Uh, yeah, you you're better than me. Um, the, 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 <laughs> no, but I'm not really doing that now because yeah. you know, now the kids, um, the kids are in the students are doing it. So, um, cause we're doing gosh, uh, five shows right now and they're all student designed. Yeah. 
Yeah. Lighting, it, lighting, costume set, all of it. So there is, um, you know, and, and for like Booker T in Dallas, PVA here, I feel like there's something in San Antonio that's got a, that's a performing, you would, you would be able to speak on that more, but there's a part of me that wants like all directors at some point within a, a span of time to be able to go witness and theater teachers, not, and even day, performing arts and visual to go witness what happens at these schools. Not to say that you have to replicate them, uh, but to know that there are students with the capability to learn this stuff uh, and to be able to trust your students. Um, One of the struggles I had the most, and uh, you're in reverse, but one of the struggles I had the most with when I started teaching was I was a PVA grad and I wanted my classroom to be just like it was at HSPVA and I had to very quickly let that go um, right. because it wasn't the same. Uh, so that's why I kind of speak on that whole like, but but we were still students. We were still 17-year-old punks, you know, that thought we knew everything and were invincible and uh, we weren't any different than a, a student at another school. So anyway, um, good, good. Yeah, it was kind of the opposite for me because when I would teach um, – at I would say a more a traditional school yeah. I'd be super structured like every day when we went in um because I would have like you know five tech theater classes and I would just have to make sure like every day that I knew exactly what everyone was doing and then when they were done what they were doing next right. um which to me now sounds like I can't believe I used to do that <laughs> but I did because otherwise it would be chaos um and I wouldn't get anything done. And I was able to, you know, do what I did, um, I think, just because of structure. And then when I came to PBA, I had to do the opposite. Yeah. I had to, like, trust them that they can do it. And then I'm like, oh, you're actually doing what you're supposed to be doing. How how often do you, because I know you're about to go see a show, even though this will be weeks later after you've seen it. But um, uh, how often do you go see a show and just watch the show and just enjoy it and not try to... Oh look never. at yeah, okay. <laughs> never. I'm always like you know I I I mean honestly I mean I love theater and I love um dance too but I think when I go to the theater a lot of time I'm looking for production design yeah. like I really like want to yeah. see like and I want to see the world of the play I want to see it create like I just saw Moulin Rouge last week and it was just fun seeing the production design right yeah, yeah, yeah. So, have you have you ever been fooled by a beautiful production and not so great of a show, and you do not need to give titles or places? I wouldn't even say fooled because I still would be like, "Oh, that was beautiful." Okay. You know, it's yeah. like okay, yeah. So, so lipstick, yeah. lipstick on a pig is what I'm trying to say. Like, uh, but yeah, yeah. I mean, even at the same time, I can like you know. <laughs> I, I still enjoyed it because yeah. I'm kind of coming at it from a different point of view, right. I guess. Right. And, and but then there's, you know, but then that doesn't mean that I can't see a show that's very minimalistic and not think it's stunning. Right. Because that's happened before. Um, you know, with dance, it's a lot of time it's just light. So, um, which is great. And, and, ha- and I've got to ask, uh, I always have to ask one act play questions. How do you think now, being that you haven't competed in, uh, you know, 13 years, how do you think now you would approach a one act play? Um, 
Well, I think how I used to approach it was um, I try to control everything. I mean, that sounds negative or like I try to control all my controllables. So like, like every detail, like the petticoat on the dress, like every, like I was like kind of insane with the details. Like I would take, you know, like, like I, we did a show where that took place in like a painter studio and I took all these cups and put liquid nail in them and stuck all these paintbrushes in them. So like, I knew that nothing would ever fall out. And like, and now that I'm judging and kind of on this side, it's really like, Oh, it's the storytelling. Yeah. It's really like, are you telling the story? Um, and if it's beautiful, then yeah, that's amazing. But at the end of the day, yeah, it's story. Yeah, it, I will say I do want to go on that journey. Um, and I do think it's about, you know, I love that's the great thing about the theater is and I always did. I always loved doing my shows with a closed curtain um, because I always wanted the audience to be sitting there. And then when the curtain opened, I wanted some kind of kinesthetic response from the audience that they were um in a different world right and that's one of the most fascinating things about set design when i go and see shows i like to look through when the doors open like what is the world that's beyond um what i'm seeing on stage to me that's what's fascinating so what is what is something that would still with the one act play world uh is there something that you could still get excited about scenically not not storytelling but like is there something that that you haven't seen yet that's a weird question because obviously you don't know what you don't know but i mean like is is there something i see shows i just saw six today right that that all had different looks they were all beautiful in their own way um at least that's what i used to tell girls in college that liked me you're just (laughs) but you know it it is but nothing really surprised nothing is like oh man that's really interesting the way they did that because there's there are limitations, right? Is there a way to do that? I mean, you know, it's, I think it's kind of a different um, genre genre now because yeah. there's so much projections and stuff yeah. like that now yeah. that really weren't. I mean, you know, when I was doing like we did like Picasso at the Lampino Gil and we had a GoPro. one act. Yeah. Oh. And, and we had like a GoPro. You know, it was the one that has the slide in it and the one light comes up in the other. So this was like a Fresnel or, you know, whatever with a GoPro. Um, So it's kind of a different thing now. I mean, it's kind of when I see stuff, I'm like, that's amazing. And it's intimidating a little bit, I would say. Um, So and that's kind of what's happening in theater, too, though. You know, it's all and it's much more like affordable really for theater companies to do that kind of Im- uh, imagery instead of building a whole set. Um, so um, yeah, I don't know if I really answered your no, that, question. Well, you but... led me, you led me to the next thing, which is projections. Like, have you, have you personally, I know you've used projections and seen a uh, design, but have you personally gone into designing your own images or are you, yeah, you're leaving it up to, yeah no i mean i have my students do it and they're wonderful i mean the ironic thing when i was at uh in grad school like i did do all and this was back when there weren't um i had all this like imagery and words and stuff when i was doing angels in america but it was literally like different um slide projectors i think we had like six of them in the back and they created the image 
um, because that's how you had to do it back yeah. then. But um, yeah, no, not really. No, mainly the students are doing it now. Do you think there's something more artistic to that way, to to figuring out how to get six uh, different images to line up and, you know, where you cut them and where you overlap, you know, that kind of thing? Or It's just different. I think, okay. you know, I think it's the difference between doing collage um, with a magazine and scissors and paper right. and glue and then doing a Photoshop. For right. me, I'm a, I like old school, so I'm, okay. you know. And my students, whenever we're doing it, they're very like, I don't know. I think it's really interesting. I get like a really um, interesting response for them just kind of working with tools in their hands and cutting things out and gluing things. And, and, you know, the other thing when you're using kind of magazines and things like that, you're finding imagery that everyone is not going to find when they do their first first Google search or what have you, they're going to be finding imagery that other people, um, you know, don't have access to or aren't aware of. Right. What, uh, besides that chandelier, I'm now curious about, uh, what is something that a student has done that you were just like completely awestruck by? And it could be that chandelier, but, um, what, what is something that a student has designed or, or crafted that, really kind of blew your mind well i mean speaking of projections we did um and this is like really recent this was last year we did sweeney todd but um the lighting designer um who's now at um northwestern which i didn't get into (laughs) um is uh the beginning we you know we had the we had a giant kabuki drop in front of the whole set and um when that beginning music started there's a whole thing of you know the thames of the river and then it filled with blood um, and this kind of topographic map. And then when the horns went, the whole Kabuki drop dropped yeah. and the whole chorus and, you know, everyone was behind it. I thought that was a really beautiful image. And he came up with all that. That was his, um, you know, his idea, which we were able to manifest because, you know, Dana um, knows folks that yeah. had, a Kabuki drop that we could use um, like all the engineering stuff. Um, so um, that, but then I've, you know, there's a lot of stuff throughout the years that I've just been like really good work, really yeah. strong work. So, uh, actually I think we're okay to wrap up soon, even though we're, uh, that 40 minute clock. Cause I, I've gotten a lot out of you, Paul, in, in 30 minutes, uh, which is great. I like the Q and a thing. Uh, so I'm going to wrap up with this question. Uh, since you kind of had a late start to theater uh relative to uh, a lot of other theater teachers and and educators um what is something now uh that you would go back and tell maybe 12 or 13 year old paul uh why why to do like do theater like what is it about theater that you would tell the younger version of you to start early well, I think there are a couple of things. One is, you know, obviously I get to be creative and I get to kind of research and, you know, explore these worlds. But also really it was my clan. It was like my people. So it was like who I needed to find when I went to college. And um, and I have friends from undergrad that in Nacogdoches that are doing amazing things still like right now that are like really great film actors that have became, you know, they've, they've become like, um, you know, great theater teachers at universities and colleges. So I think there was a unique um, 
group of people there. So I think it was really about kind of finding um, that group of people where I felt, and the thing about theater and college is you don't really need a fraternity or anything like that because you are always there and you are always working and you are always busy. Um, so I think that's um, something that was important, but I think it maybe it just happened when it needed to happen. I think allowing me to do all these other things kind of when I was young, um, kind of informed who I am as an artist. Right. So then don't do theater. <laughs> Well, I just find it ironic that some of my students are like, I just don't know if I want to do theater and call. Yeah. I'm like, when I was your age, I hadn't even taken theater class yeah. yet. So That's I'm cool. like, you know, be open to the possibilities of whatever. And you don't have to do theater. You know, um, we have some students who've gone on and done, you know, medical school and gone yeah. to Rice and all kinds of stuff. And still, you know, one of them was like, and they couldn't figure out how to glue this together. And he was like, have you used liquid nail? And they're like, what's that? And so, you know, I'm like, see, you're learning skills that you can use. Um, you know, in your bioengineering class at Rice. Minor wisdom.